The scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Habakkuk, chapter 1, verses 2 and 4, and chapter 2, verses 18 to 20. Hear the word of the Lord. How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen, or cry out to you violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked him and the righteous, so that justice is perverted. And then chapter 2, verses 18 to 20. Of what value is an idol carved by a craftsman or an image that teaches lies? For the one who makes it trusts in his own creation. He makes idols that cannot speak. Woe to him who says to wood, come to life, or to lifeless stone, wake up. Can it give guidance? It is covered with gold and silver. There is no breath in it. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. This is the word of the Lord. What an exciting text, right? Um, We're in this series, uh, Seeing Jesus in the Minor Prophets, and we're looking at all the minor prophets in the Older Testament. And today we come to Habakkuk. And again, this may not be a book, kind of like last week, that you're thinking immediately of your favorite verse, although actually Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 4 is quoted by Paul at least three times, um, where he, the righteous will live by faith, right? You've probably heard that before. Paul is, calling, Paul is referencing Habakkuk, but Habakkuk asks some really tough questions, you know, questions you've no doubt had before. How long, Lord, must I call for help and you don't listen? Or cry out to you violence, but you don't save. You make me look at injustice. Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Like, have you ever had these questions for God before? No, of course you have. Uh, How does God answer to them? What is God's response? Well, that's that can be quite puzzling. It can be difficult to figure that out. But but I think this morning, as you hear what the Lord says to Habakkuk and where Paul references these this exact verse, chapter two, verse four. Um, in Habakkuk, you'll be encouraged because God is not actually silent, even though the experience is puzzling. Now, I don't know about you. I don't actually love puzzles. I kind of like to do them with other people. That's fun. But like, I'm not a Rubik's Cube guy. Have you ever figured the Rubik's Cube out? You ever played with that? Do you know there's 43 quintillion different combinations in the Rubik's Cube? That does not sound fun to me. 27 individual small cubes covered in plastic and little stickers and um, the guy who created, Erno Rubik, who created the Rubik's Cube, he couldn't even figure it out for 30 days. Eventually, another guy, Michael Reed, in 1995, came up with a 20-move solution called the Super Flip, and apparently it works all the time. I've never tried it. But puzzles can be fun. They can be confusing. Um, but here's the thing about puzzles is that everybody has to deal with them. You know, maybe it's small things throughout the week. Maybe it's big things like what Habakkuk is talking about here, but no one escapes puzzles. There's something like, there's nearly 8 billion people on the planet, different faces, different fingertips, you know, different stories, different experiences, different problems, and yet everyone asks questions about these problems. Habakkuk does in his day because they're under threat um, from the Babylonians. Questions about Why is there injustice in the world? I feel like that's a question our culture has been asking a lot recently. What is justice anyway? What is injustice? What does God have to say about justice? Is God silent? And the thing as you study the scriptures that you learn from the Lord is that oftentimes 
God doesn't give answers to questions our hearts can muster, but he always gives answers to the questions our hearts most need to hear. Now, that's not super fun sometimes, but God always gives answers to the questions our hearts have to have addressed. Sometimes people well-meaning, although quite belittling, will say something like this to someone who's suffering or who's struggling or asking these hard questions. Just have faith. Just believe. And maybe it's well-meaning, but the reality is oftentimes we say that because we don't know the answer either. And we're kind of acting like if you just had more faith, you wouldn't struggle with this question. That's not true. You know, throughout our lives as Christians, we're going to experience things and encounter things where we say, God, why? Why this? What does God have to say to us in that moment? That, you know, to simply say just have faith may not be enough, but actually, in some ways, it might be. It's a biblical concept. To say it differently, to follow Jesus is going to require that you express faith. You cannot get away from it. And the reason that bothers us oftentimes is because that means we have to trust something beyond ourselves because we only trust ourselves. And God's asking you to just maybe trust in something greater than yourself, to trust in him. Ephesians chapter 2, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. John chapter 3, verse 16, Jesus says, for God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. You can't get away from the experience of faith in your spiritual journey. It's a reality. And so then what does it mean to have faith? What can we have faith in? Listen to Habakkuk chapter 2. Again, just the last part. Of what value is an idol carved by a craftsman or an image that teaches lies? You know, Habakkuk there is saying, okay, what are you going to trust in? What are you going to have faith in? You know, is it, can it be enough? Will it be enough? He says, if you're going to trust in something that you made, why would you think it's able to provide for you more than more than what you've given it. You created it. Habakkuk's answer, the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. Is there a God we can trust in and have faith in as much of a journey and a struggle as it might be to have that faith, but to have faith in we can actually trust? Deuteronomy chapter 32 says this. Listen, you heavens, and I will speak. Hear, you earth, the words of my mouth. Let my teaching fall like rain and my words descend like dew, like showers on new grass, like abundant rain on tender plants. I will proclaim the name of the Lord. O praise the greatness of our God. He is the rock. His works are perfect and all his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just is he. If that's true. If that's actually a God that exists, and he very much does, then that's something we can have faith in. Even when we have hard questions, a God who says no matter how much you might think you've addressed the reality of the world you're living in, know this, any conclusion that leads to anything other than I am always just, I am your rock, I am a faithful God who does no wrong, I am upright, that any answer you come up with that is out of sync with that, God's actually saying that's the moment of faith right there. To believe that I am who I say I am. What do you have faith in? You know, I have faith in protective gear for heads. I wear helmets a lot for different sports that I do. Um, I think I've told some of you about this, but one time I was windsurfing, 
and I was out on a lake, and the wind was blowing like 40 miles an hour, and I hit this ramp, this, this wave that had piked up, and I went in the air, and I realized that the gust was so powerful that it, it blew the sail out, so I had to sheet out. It like blew it away from me, but I'm in the air. The next thing I do is I wake up underwater, about six feet underwater, because the mast had come back into my head and knocked me out, and I was underwater. I woke up. I went to the top and thought to myself, I should have worn a helmet like my mother told me to. God is, God is saying these things to you because you need this kind of protection in your life. You need to know, you actually need a God that's this powerful and this good. One who is always just right, just. One who is always upright. One who is always true. One who will never abandon you. One who, when you face things, even as tough as what Habakkuk faces, is big enough to be the one who is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. Consider some of the questions, again, that Habakkuk has. Verse 3, why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There's strife and conflict abounds. Habakkuk is saying, I'm seeing all these horrible things. Why aren't you doing anything about it? He's saying the law is paralyzed. He's saying, God, your word is having no impact on the world around me. The wicked him and the righteous, so the justice is perverted. Or verse 13, why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent with the wicked? Swallow up, who swallow up those who are more righteous than themselves. Now Habakkuk is looking at some pretty difficult, tough things. And he's addressing them to God. He's taking them to God. How does God respond? Chapter 2, verse 14 For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Chapter 3, verse 2, Lord, I have heard of your frame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day, in our time. Make them known. You know, Habakkuk keeps going back to these promises of God to answer his heart's greatest longings. Chapter 3, verse 19, the sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. Do you see what Habakkuk is being called to do in this moment? He's being called to live in the gap. To live in the gap between what God has promised, the world as it is, and what God will one day do. That's the exact same place all of us live in. We live in the gap. You know, when you think about Jesus in the Gospels, why do you think Jesus does what he does in the Gospels? Why does he heal the blind? Why does he heal the sick? Why does he raise the dead back to life? Why does he rise into the heavens? Why does Jesus do all these things? He does all of these things to give us a picture of what will one day be true when his power is fully realized when he comes again. And he's not doing these little miracles during these three years of his life just to say, this is a neat little flashbang to kind of encourage you as you head on your way. He's actually revealing what the kingdom of God is going to be like and what it's becoming. And the incredible news is, is he tells us it's beginning in our hearts. You know, as you find yourself wrestling with tough things in this life, God's not being silent. He's saying, look, this is who I am. I'm in my holy temple. I'm the one who has power. I'm the one who's sovereign. I'm the one who will make your feet like the feet of a deer so you can ascend on the heights. I I realize that doesn't really do much for you, like that imagery, but the point is to be able to ascend into God's grace and his presence. But what about living in the gap? How do we live in the gap? You know, the people in Habakkuk's day were living under threat of Babylonian rule, and God actually tells them they are going to take over. It's as bad as you think. 
But then we read this in verse 5. Look at the nations and watch, the Lord says, and be utterly amazed, for I am going to do something in your day that you would not believe, even if you were told. Do you see that? You see that paradigm of the relationship we have with God right there? The Lord says to Habakkuk, I'm going to do something. It's going to be amazing. And if I told you, you wouldn't believe me. For I'm going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. Habakkuk's being invited to live into what? Knowing the reality of these hard questions, but also knowing that God is sovereign and he's good and he's made promises and he's living in the gap. And we have to do the same. Jesus in the Gospel of John chapter 14 says this, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare, prepare a place for you? And if I go and I prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. If your hope is in Jesus, you are meant to take a lot of comfort you're, you're supposed to experience some level of anticipation that Jesus at this very moment is preparing a place for you, for you, in the midst of your suffering, in the joys that are to come. Jesus is saying, I would not lie to you. I am not a liar. I'm going to prepare a place for you, and I will come back, and you will be there with me. While we live in the midst of this gap of his promises seeing the things take place in the Gospels and his promise of the second coming of when he returns to gather us to himself, we live in this gap where we anticipate his goodness. Now, where, where are you experiencing that in your life? Maybe it's that God's silent. Maybe you've been praying something specifically for God to do and it's not happening. Is God being silent? Actually, he's giving you his scriptures so you can hear his exact words in the midst of your experience of silence. Like there are times where we experience distance from God. And you can try to figure out exactly if it's your fault or someone else's fault. Or whatever. The point is, the moment you long for God's presence and ask for him to draw near, hear his word. I am drawing near to you. I am sovereign. I am preparing a place for you. I hear your complaints. I'm going to do something. But you're going to have to have faith. You're going to have to trust me. I'm going to do something in your midst that you could hardly imagine. It's similar to what we read in Paul's words in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that's at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. If you were going to ask God to do something, do you think you're more creative than God is in coming up with what's best? Paul is saying here, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we could ever ask for or imagine. You are the object of, of affection from a God like that. And so was Habakkuk. And Habakkuk was real with God about his struggles. He was real about his sense of confusion about the way in which the world is. And God's answer to him is, look, I'm going to do something. It's beyond your imagining. Don't forget that I'm sovereign. Don't forget that I've drawn near to you. Don't forget that when I speak, the earth will be silent. That I will make you like a deer able to ascend to the heights of who I am and to access my grace for you. Okay, so for Habakkuk, being concerned about the Babylonians, that's a very real present threat, right? And the Babylonians do come in, that's true. Um, and um, actually Habakkuk also saw the Ninevites fall, if you remember that from last week. 
So all these stories are taking place around one another. And Habakkuk is, is speaking into the situation. And he's saying, we're suffering, we're struggling. God, what do you have to say to us? Now, in, in, in Habakkuk chapter 2, this is probably a verse you have heard before. Paul quotes it in Galatians. Um, he, he quotes it in Romans. Chapter 2, verse 4. See the enemy is puffed up, his desires are not upright. That part isn't always quoted, but this part is. But the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. And if you read down there, it can also be translated, he will live by faith. What does it mean for us to live by faith? The righteous will live by faith. There was a time where, and sometimes people today interpret it this way, that the righteous living by faith means, I can know I'm being faithful if I'm righteous. That that's what it means to live by faith and to be righteous is that I kind of have my act together and see I'm living by faith. That's not what's happening here. What Habakkuk is doing here and what Paul makes clear elsewhere in the scriptures is that actually the practice of having faith that God is who he says he is numbers you among his people. It numbers you among the righteous. Romans chapter 1 verse 16, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, are you ready? The righteous will live by faith. He's quoting Habakkuk 2. What is it we believe about the gospel? What is, what is in, the, in the middle of this suffering, what are we being called to in this moment? To have faith that God is who he says he is. Even in the midst of the struggle, God, you're being silent. I know you're faithful. I need you to help me believe. God, I'm suffering. I need you to help me to believe. That practice is living by faith and numbering you among God's people, recipients of his promise. To live, to think, to engage with God in his promises is to live by faith. Why do we believe this? That's what we believe. Why do we believe it? Galatians chapter 3, verses 11 to 14. Clearly, no one relies on the law. Who relies on the law is justified before God. Because, and now Paul's quoting Habakkuk, the righteous will live by faith. Do you see that? Verse 11, clearly no one, relies on the, no one who relies on the law is justified before God. No one who relies on the law is justified before God. In other words, nobody's perfect. No one can come before God and say, look, I've obeyed everything, I've done everything right, I'm going to live by faith now. No. Clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified by those things. Because, Paul writes, the righteous will live by faith. Paul goes on, the law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says the person who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. The question is not, are we going to go through times of having puzzles in our lives? The question is not, are we going to have hard questions for God that we read the Scriptures and go, I need a better answer than this. The question is this, have you so encountered God's goodness and His grace that in the midst of your questions and the puzzles, you say, I'm going to live by faith. I'm going to trust that God is who he says he is, even though I don't understand this other stuff, because I don't understand this other stuff, but God has revealed himself, and he's faithful. He's what we read in Deuteronomy 32. He's always just. He's always good, even when I struggle to believe it's true. How do we believe? 
That's what we believe. We believe in the gospel. Why do we believe it? Because the scriptures say, Habakkuk 2, Romans 1, uh, Galatians, that by living by faith is where we access life. There's no life in anything else. There's no life in the law. In fact, Paul calls it a curse. To try to stand before God based on what you've done or what you haven't done, or to think God won't accept you because of things you've done, is to live under the curse of the law, and you've been redeemed into something else. To live by faith in the promises of what God has given you in Jesus Christ. He's given you the scriptures so that you can read them. You can read Habakkuk. It's not super fun, but it's only three chapters, and there's some, there are a couple of good verses in it. The sacraments. We celebrate the supper. We celebrate baptism. Those are meant to be things you look to and go, God is faithful. God is good. His word is true. The church. This is meant to be a community where we reflect on God's promises together. And when we're struggling, struggling to believe it, others say, you know what? God is faithful. Let's trust him together. I'm struggling to trust him. God is faithful. Let's trust him together. The scriptures, the sacraments, the church. And of course, God has given you his presence. We read about that in Colossians. You see it here in Habakkuk. God offers his spirit to remind us of what's true in the face of even our own hearts doubting who he is. He doesn't call us to live by confidence. He doesn't call us to live by figuring out everything or to solve the Rubik's Cube puzzles. He calls us to live by faith, which means we're going to have to trust him beyond what we might expect because he is who he says he is. Now let me end with this story. There are times in our lives where things happen that they're unexpected. Um, that happens a lot, it seems. Um, what does God expect us to do with that? You know, there are all sorts of strategies to dealing with things when they don't go like you think they should. One strategy people try is to get really frustrated with everybody around them. I'm just going to be frustrated with everybody around me because my plans have been messed with, and now I'm just going to be unhappy. That's one strategy. I've tried it. It's not super effective. Uh, it makes you kind of unpopular. Um, there are other strategies. The Scriptures say... Let's live by faith. It means that when things happen that we don't expect or things that are difficult happen, we say, okay, I don't understand this, but what I do understand is that God has said that he's going to do something amazing, that he's preparing a place for me, that I'm called to live by faith, as we read in Habakkuk chapter 2, or to pray with Habakkuk in chapter 3, Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds. Or verse 19 in chapter 3, the sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. God is at work even when it's hard for us to see that he is. And this summer, my son Walker went on this summer camp to Frontier up in Colorado. And there's lots of fun things they do up there. Like they do lots of hiking and different things. But one day, it was like the main hike. They're going to summit. They're going to go to the summit. They're going to see the top off the mountain. It's going to be beautiful. And they, go to the t they make their way to the top of the mountain, and as often happens in the summers in Colorado, a major storm rolls in. So all 50 of these kids, because they see lightning and, and the leaders are getting nervous and the camp, the camp uh, guides are like, hey, we need to seek shelter. There is one place you can go and hide during a storm like this because, they, you know, it happens sometimes. And it's just a cabin. And some of it's wood floor and some of it's uh, just dirt and rock. And so all 50 of these kids, if you can imagine, get into this cabin and they all sit down. There's only enough room for them to sit, like, on the ground and they're all kind of touching each other. It's just very, very close, right? Now, if I were to tell you that that was one of the best things that Walker remembers from the whole trip, surely your question would be why, because it sounds terrible. They sat in that cabin for four hours. 
It started off, they looked out at the rain, like, oh, it looks crazy. Oh, whoa, that lightning, you know. Then they started playing games. Then they played some songs. Then they sang some songs together. And then they started, like, sharing about things that they had been experiencing on the trip. And to this day, um, you know, when Walker first came home, he says one of the most important, like, significant, memorable moments on that trip was what we didn't expect, to get caught in the cabin and have to sit there with each other for four hours just in this cabin. You know, God does, even in the midst of suffering and difficulty, God can use those things to increase our faith or to encourage us. He's not asking us to have it all figured out, but he is calling us to have faith in him. So the righteous will live by faith, okay? Let me pray for us as we approach the table. Jesus, we do ask that you would enable us to live by faith when our hearts have even some of the same questions that Habakkuk had or that the people during, during Habakkuk's day had about your silence or an injustice or difficulty or frustration, that we would know that you hear those complaints, you hear those things, but you also call out to us and say, look, I am the Lord your God. I am the one who's with you. I am the one who's calling you to live by faith because you can trust me, Lord. Would you give us grace to do that, to trust you in the face of all things because your ways are good for us. We ask all this in Jesus' name, amen.